0: Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week we began our conversation with Sarah Feinblum. She is the producer director of the documentary What Do You Believe Now? The Spiritual Journeys of American Millennials? A little bit about Sarah, Uh, First of all, the film that I just mentioned, What Do You Believe Now? The Spiritual Journeys of American Millennials, is a follow-up to her 2002 documentary, What Do You Believe? The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, which came out in 2002. In the 2019 Before and After film, a Catholic, pagan, Jew, Muslim, Lakota, and Buddhist offer their deeply personal faith journeys, life challenges, and evolving ideas about higher powers, life purpose, the nature of suffering, religious intolerance, and death. The 2002 documentary aired on PBS stations and screened internationally at venues including the Mill Valley Film Festival and the American Academy of Religion. It was voted one of the 10 best videos for young adults in 2003, by the American Library Association and is shown at over 2,000 schools and colleges in the U.S. and internationally. Sarah has also created and led workshops nationally and internationally on interfaith dialogue and religious diversity. Her other projects include Earth Water Woman in 2013 about Rastafarian women environmentalists in Trinidad, which premiered at the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival and her documentary on LGBT activists in Jamaica called Many Loves, One Heart. She has led national workshops on violence prevention for schools, nonprofits, and public health organizations. Her film, Daughters and Sons Preventing Child Trafficking in the Golden Triangle, profiles a program that saves children from sex trafficking and was featured on NPR, and won the award for Best Short in Child Advocacy at the Artivist Film Festival and helped raise over $250,000. In Search of the Heart of Chocolate in 2008 premiered at the Palm Springs International Short Film Festival. Sarah has a B.A. in political science from Columbia University and an M.A. in education from Tufts. She has taught high school social studies, ESL, and Youth Filmmaking Workshops. So we welcome once again to Common Threads, Sarah Finebloom. Hi, Sarah.
1: Hi, nice to be here again.
0: Certainly, yes, indeed it is. Uh, so last week we talked uh, quite a bit about the juxtaposition between the, the first film and the second. Um, but let's, let's recap just for anybody who might not have been with us last week. So in 2002... The, uh, the documentary, What Do You Believe? The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, comes out. And as, as I just mentioned in, your, in the introduction here, you have a Catholic, pagan, Jew, Muslim, Lakota Indian, and a Buddhist, and they talk about their spiritual lives back then. And you were able to, many years later, round the same six people up who are now adults, now people in their 30s, and you ask the same questions or similar questions. You ask how they've changed, and we are able to see how they've changed. And I, I should mention that I, I did not see the, the first one, but I did see the second one, the one we're talking about right now. Um, but that does have some footage of the old interviews. So you do kind of, more than kind of, you do know where the people are starting from and then are able to see. The, uh, the, the results, at least as of now, is that, that that that's a fair, fair take on this, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so mm-hmm. so so my, my question is, um, of the people who uh, who are part of the first film, who would you say if you can pick one who journeyed further away from where they started than anyone else if, if there is if you can pick one mm,
1: that's such a good question who journeyed the furthest away well i don't know I, I i kind of want to ask you which one you think i mean what was remarkable about
0: i all the I, I would of say i would yeah. say it was the uh the young Lakota boy, who turned in, of course, to a lakota man uh, when when you see him, how focused he was as as uh, a teenager, how he was so proud of his heritage, how he was working within his um, cultural and spiritual tradition, really trying to avoid the pitfalls that that uh, unfortunately, uh you know line the lives of so many american indians and then find out what happened to him in the ensuing years it's kind of heartbreaking
1: yeah yeah that's very true um
0: and he was the well, one last last week you said he was the one who reached out to you you were you started looking for for uh, the, the other five people when you decided, I want to see what, what happened with these kids. And you say he reached out to you. Did he reach out to you before you started trying to find the others, or how did that work?
1: Well, I had stayed in touch with a couple, like one or two of them, but four of them I completely lost touch with. Um, and then Julius, his name is Julius Not Afraid, and he's... um. He lives in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and he's a a, a world-famous powwow grass dancer. Um, He actually... So he reached out to me through Facebook, so I really want to thank Facebook because I don't think we would have found each other otherwise. And he knew that he had gone through some really difficult um, issues in his life, and he knew that they had impacted him spiritually and that some of these issues were because he lost connection with his spiritual tradition and out of that loss came you know a lot of um, a lot of problems for him and so I think he was also quite interested in finding uh, finding a way to reconnect and that maybe through being in the film that that could help him, talk about what had happened to him and why he lost connection with his spirituality, with his Lakota ways. That's how he describes them and, and that, and that he wanted to re reestablish connection with his culture and his traditions. But, you know, I, I would say that one of the things that was for all six of them, each one of them changed in some way. Each one of them, they reinterpreted their tradition they left it altogether. <laughs> they they blended it with something else they stopped caring about parts of the things that worried them as teenagers they maybe had a deeper understanding it was it, it was wonderful to see each you know all six of these now young adults um where they'd come to. And I do think they're going to be going somewhere further. So I, I really hope at some point I'd be able like in 10 years from now, film them again, because I think they're all very much like all of us, their influx, their relationship to their original, you know, family tradition, their family religion is in flux and, and it's a dynamic relationship. And then, because they have access to so many new, different kinds of information that maybe before the internet age they might not have been exposed as as much to, let's say, meditation or Buddhism or or astrology or all these different kinds of um, things that are available for people to explore now. That this is allowing them to be even more kind of dynamic and reinterpreting and reimagining their their beliefs and their traditions so i think there's sort of a micro trend that is a macro trend in the us and maybe all over the world where you know you meet somebody who's who's christian but they believe in reincarnation and meditation that they Learned as a result of being exposed to some aspects of Buddhism, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of one of the uh, uh, people in the film uh, it came out as uh, as gay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, um, I I can't quite recall. Did they identify as gay in the first film?
1: No. Not at all.
0: <laughs> talk, talk talk about that tra- uh, transformation, if you will, and and yeah. how how uh, uh, spirituality played into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I one of the things I love about this film is the surprise, right? That that part of watching is like you see them when they're a, a pimply faced teenager, you know, worried about everything, and then you see them when they're thirty and and they've they've become an adult. So I I try not to give too much away, but but this is a, um, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're picking up on this particular story. Um, one of the teenagers was very much presented as straight, and um, and was very much an adherent to his um, his religious traditions, and and seemed very comfortable about all of it. Um, you know, maybe questioned a little bit some of the rules around sex uh, like around heterosexual sex but um was very you know presented very much as a young heterosexual teenager but later on and actually this particular character in the the uh, in the film he didn't want to be in the follow-up film because he didn't want to come out on camera but he had he had since come out to his family that he was gay and um he had left his his uh church because he didn't feel that there was a place for him so it was it was a big negotiation with him to um make sure that he felt comfortable and safe and that he could trust me to tell his story in a way that um was dignified and, and wasn't sensationalized that, you know, that he had, uh, he really changed. And he, and because he, uh, just maybe more, he kind of all was always grappling with his sexuality, but once he really had to come out of the closet, then he really had to leave his church because there just, he, he wasn't, there was no place for him. So his, that was a really, you know, I think that's probably true for a lot of people um, in different faith traditions. That they find that there's something about their identity that is so uh, in opposition to the the creed or the you know the laws of their of their religious organization that they that they're part of. That they sometimes they just have to leave. So that was one case um, that that happened. And, uh, and he's, he's now looking for some other kind of church that would be more accepting. And we'll see. We'll see if that happens. <laughs>
0: if you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is Sarah Feinblum. She is the producer, director, and editor of the documentary, What Do You Believe Now?, the Spiritual Journeys of American Millennials. Um, so, Sarah, be honest with me. You're talking to this young man. He's, he's about 16 years old. Are you saying to yourself, not to him, but is there, is there any inner dialogue going on uh, where you're silently saying, okay, girlfriend, you don't know it right now, but you're gay.
1: No, you know, (laughs) I'm pretty good at that. I mean, I've been talking to people and learning about people pretty intensively my whole life. I'm pretty good at kind of figuring out if someone is pulling my leg or or misrepresenting. They're they're hiding something. But, you know, in in this particular interview, I just I, I did not pick that up. And I think he was just so masterful at hiding it. And I think also, you know, he says he sort of feels maybe a little bit more bisexual. And that was why, yeah, he was, able, it just didn't, it didn't come across, you know? I mean, no, I, I didn't.
0: Okay. All right. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> you don't lose any <laughs> points on this program for not.
1: That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, you, there are times when I would be interviewing um, teenagers and adults where I really do have to push them to tell me more to, to really be a little bit more authentic. And um, that that happens all the time and then what you end up seeing in, in the film is is the, the part where they're being more authentic. But if if I you know if you push and push and push and someone doesn't want to reveal something or they haven't revealed it, In many ways, to themselves. That's
0: my point. That's my point. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't expect him to be trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I would expect him to be in the process of struggling and not wanting to admit it. That's that's more often when it happens today,
1: right? Yeah. I mean. uh, Well, I think he was so steeped in his religious tradition that he felt that there was no room for him to be his individual self and. So he was really just kind of, I don't want to I, brainwash is really the wrong word to use. I'm trying to find a word, but inculturated,
0: like was, inculturated. Was, How's that?
1: Yes, very, very much. And he also loved his religious tradition. He, it, it meant a lot to him and it gave his life structure and meaning and community. And I think to have to leave, it was very painful. So, um, you know, I hope that one of the things that can happen is that some of these very um, deep, deep traditions that some of these Catholic churches, um, Jew, you know, Jewish institutions, that they can begin to have a bigger tent and open their arms a little wider to their members. Because when you really talk to people, they, they, they don't always—they can't always— So neatly into the box, but they, but to lose them is to lose their valuable contributions. So, you know, I, I think that's in part why a lot of young people are falling away from more organized religions because they don't, whatever it might be, you know, maybe they're more feminist or maybe they're more environmentally focused, or maybe they, they just, they don't find themselves represented in a way. And so I hope that we can kind of think about that as a society so that everybody can be included. You know, that's kind of my, my, the, the underlining thing It's like from the, the films that I've made is, is to say, Hey, we are all here. We're all human beings. Can we see ourselves in the other? Can we embrace the other? Can we, um, value the other one's perspective it might not be what we believe but can we see that it's valuable and worthy of respect and protection and um not find it threatening you know so whether it's done inside your religious institution or it's just done between us you know can can we get there and i think it's really imperative that we do because we are um um, a multi- Spiritual and religious society, we're very, very diverse, and that I think makes us rich and um, strong. And you know, we we it's it's just like it's just like biodiversity. It's human diversity that I think is of great value, and we we can learn from each other. So, I'm there's intre- my little. Preaching part. <laughs> well, thank you.
0: I'm interested in your in your educational background. Um, I can kind of see the, uh, the poli-sci inside you. You have your bachelor's in poli-sci from Columbia, and uh, you have your master's in education from Tufts. I don't see any film cred. Uh, in, yeah, in, in, I
1: never in. went to film school. <laughs> Re- t- tell
0: us how that happened, how you ended up being a filmmaker.
1: Uh-huh. Well, that's a good question. You know, I used to be, when I was teaching in the public schools in Boston, the Rodney King um, riots happened out in L.A., and the whole country was kind of up in, you know, just felt like the whole country was kind of up in flames, that there was just a lot of, um, my students were really noticing the violence uh, and the and the racism and I decided I was going to make a film with my students about violence and non-violence and I and I think that sort of is a a kind of a precursor it's sort of a religious question you know how do, is where does violence have a role or not and what is sacred and um, how do we solve these complex problems so I I ended up making a really not knowing what I was doing but for many reasons, kind of out of my students' questions and um, confusion, decided that I would make a film with young people about violence in their lives and communities. And I, when I made that film, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I made it with a friend at the time who did know about filmmaking, but I basically I got hooked on filmmaking, and I got hooked on this idea that if you gave young people a voice, they could. Be they could educate each other, and they could they would really listen to each other, and they wanted to hear from each other. So, I I included young my students as filmmakers, and they made profiles about their lives and um, the role of violence in their lives and communities. And that kind of set me on the path to make the next film from the perspective of teenagers about their religious and spiritual lives. And that's why I made that film. And then that's why in the film that you see now, I mean, there's no narrator. It's just really very much allowing, creating a, a vehicle, a framework for people to speak for themselves, very personally about about their experiences. So that's how I got involved in documentary filmmaking. No, <laughs> that, that, uh, that's, that's quite
0: fascinating, yeah. uh, and and yeah. certainly, uh, so many people um, who are at the the height. Of their craft uh, particularly in uh, in the area of the creative we're not uh, academically trained exactly in that area they they usually do mm-hmm. have some academic training a degree in something but mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, in exactly what they're doing at the time right so so that, well, that's, that's
1: cool <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: yeah of course absolutely um, I mentioned last week And it bears repeating this week as well that the documentary that we've been talking about, What Do You Believe Now? The Spiritual Journeys of American Millennials, at this moment, as we are speaking, is not available in the West Michigan area. However, uh, this conversation is available as a podcast, and so uh, there may be people listening uh, all over the country and it's it's possible that uh, there might be a showing near near them, and if there is, uh, uh, is it on your website? It, 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 are all of the showings listed on your website at this point?
1: Mm, I don't think so. I think we need to update that. Um, well,
0: this is a good a inspiration
1: are, to do it's that. It's a good inspiration to do it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and if there isn't. You can contact us and we can make make plans with you to have a screening. Um, that's, you know, that's really our goal. And um, the six now adults in the film can also come and be part of a screening and a Q&A. And they really, they're really marvelous human beings um, and they have a lot to say. Um, I was able to bring Julius Not Afraid with me to a high school screening in San Rafael and it was just, um, when, like, when do San Rafael teenagers in, in Northern California really get to meet somebody who's grown up on the Pine Ridge Reservation and, and has connections to all of his um, spiritual practices? I mean, Julius is a sun dancer. Um, he knows all about the sweat lodge. He knows all about the peyote church. Um, he's you know, he's just a really extraordinary man with a lot of knowledge. So I'm really hoping to be able to bring him to talk as well as all the other ones um who are in the film, to bring them with me, um and speak because I think it there's just so much more to learn about all of them and they're really special people. I'm I'm just so proud of all of them.
0: And yeah. Who I, it I, become. I, I, I will mention that uh having seen the film myself, that you really did a good job. You say you, you culled them out of uh, a couple of hundred other kids uh, way back when in, uh, when you were making the first film. And uh, whatever intuition you you were using, I, I think, was, was working in overdrive because they seem to present themselves well in the clips from the old film that are included in the new film. And as adults... They do a wonderful job of presenting for themselves. Um, so, yeah, good, good on you for, for, for making good choices. And I will also uh, mention that people who are interested in a screening or learning what you're doing right now uh, can go to gooddocs.net, and that's good, and then docs is D-O-C-S, again, dot .net, and people can, people can find you there, right?
1: Yes, they can. Wonderful. And we welcome, we, we really want to screen this film. I think right now in America, it, it has particular relevance. I mean, the first film, I finished right before 9-11. And actually, the Muslim family in the film decided to leave the United States for a while because they felt so unsafe. And it's interesting now that I am that I finished this next film, and we're really seeing a rise in anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic attacks. Um, we're seeing other kinds of religiously motivated hate crimes. And so I, I feel like this is, again, my, my offering. Here's a tool that people can use to get to know each other, to stop fearing each other, to understand each other. And that's why it's so beautiful right now in the in the United States. There's so many groups. And there weren't back in you know the 1990s the way there are now. There's so many interfaith groups that are really doing this hard work of bringing people together. And that's um, I what, think the thing. I'm sorry. Go go
0: ahead. Ahead. I, that's what we're we're certainly trying to do with the Interfaith Dialogue Association and Kaufman Interfaith Institute. But I have to stop you there because we are down to the wire again, Sarah. But I want okay. to th- I want to thank you so much for your time today and last week as well. And seriously, best of luck with uh, with your film.
1: What an incredible honor to be on your show. Thank you so so much. I'm I'm really grateful. Thank you.
0: You're listening to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and Sarah Finebloom has been our guest. Uh, she is the producer, director, editor of What Do You Believe Now the Spiritual Journeys of American Millennials. Please join us again next week here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University.